Hello and welcome to The Tally Ho, our podcast all about classic cult TV show The Prisoner, with me Eason and me Bex. And today we have a special episode which interrupts our regular episode by episode rewatch podcast series, which is all about the new Prisoner comic series from Titan Comics. Yeah, so in the 50 years since The Prisoner first hit our screens in 1967, there have been lots of other works that have built upon The Prisoner as a foundation. So there have been novels, comic books, TV miniseries, audio adventures. And we were very excited a few months ago when we heard that there was going to be yet another entry in The Prisoner universe, which is a new comic from Titan Comics. And in this episode today, we've got two interviews that are related to the new release. The first is with David Leach, who's the editor at Titan, who oversaw the project. And the second is with comic book writer Peter Milligan, who wrote the adaptation. And the series is a four-issue mini-series, which comes out later this week. So that's the 25th of April. And it'll be coming out monthly for the next four months. We've had a sneak peek at issue one. We're not really going to go into depth reviewing it now. I think we're going to save that for a future episode of the podcast when the series is complete. Much like many things with The Prisoner, it kind of needs to keep its secrets, I think, for Mm. those who come to it. What we can say is that we really, really enjoyed it. It's a really original take on the material. It does fit in with the mythology of the original Prisoner TV show, but it also goes in, I think, some quite unexpected and really fresh directions for the material that aren't strictly tied to the Prisoner lore, I think. Yeah, so we're going to kick off with our chat with the editor, David Leach, about how the comic came to be and what fans can expect from it. Yeah, and towards the end, you'll also find out a little bit more about what Titan Comics' plans are for the future of their work with the Prisoner series. So we're delighted to be joined by David Leach, editor of the new Prisoner comic from Titan Comics. Hello, David. Hello, how are you? Thank you for taking the time to uh, chat to us today. Uh, We're going to ask you a few questions about the new comic and also your interest in the the show itself, if that's okay. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. I'd love love to. Great. So um, have you always been a fan of The Prisoner? No, I've always hated it. I can't stand it. (laughs) No, I've been been a fan. Um, I'm I'm a a very old man. Um, I'm I'm, I'm pushing pushing 50s. Um, So... I didn't watch it when it was first out, but I grew up being aware of it because it's one of the sort of things that, that you just heard about. So whenever Patrick McGrew would be on TV in one thing or another, my dad would always say, oh, is that bloody nutter? That sort of thing. <laughs> and then I became aware of the show because obviously I had a huge obsessive interest in spies. And so you, you learn about Danger Man, you learn about all these other things. And so I became aware of The Prisoner, but it mainly came to the fore in, in, for me when I was at art college back in the 80s. Uh, which I think was the first time it'd been re-shown on terrestrial TV. Because back in those good old days, there were only, only four TV channels. Um, and one of them started showing The Prisoner again from the beginning. So we watched it religiously because we were all art school and trying to be very clever and, um, and uh, esoteric. And there was one episode in particular that uh, me and my best friend, we watched. And we, it was just incredible. I mean, I think we actually recorded it onto our VHS machine just to watch it over and over again. And we did that, and we, we basically sat down and just talked about it and tried to work out what it was all about just from that one episode. 
So it, it had a profound effect upon us. And so I think from that point onwards, I became quite a big... I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not a fanatical fan. It's a show that I love. I love the concept. I find it immensely satisfying. In fact, for me, and this, this is probably sacrilege, and so I apologize in advance, the thing I love most about the show is the theme tune and the opening credits, which I just think are just a, just a perfect little movie. And the whole bit where, where you know, where he he's storms back home, he starts packing, and then the gas pours into the, into the flat, and he stumbles and falls, and then he wakes up in the village. I just think that's just fantastic. So that's probably my favorite part of the prisoner. The rest of it I don't care about, but the opening credits I truly love. <laughs> and so the episode for me that 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 really that really got me is the general. Ah, okay. That's my that's my favorite episode. And what was it about that episode that grabbed you? I think it was just it was like it was it was because it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It, it, it was, I mean, we'd, we'd heard about it. You know, so, you know, our tutors at college would, would talk about it. So when it was back on, obviously, it, it was the sort of thing they'd talk about. But, but you don't really believe people when they sort of describe this strange show and, and you're, trying to, you're trying to get a handle on it. Now, I've always, been, I've always been very interested in story. I've always been, I love plots. I, lo- I love the way that the uh, stories unfold. And I love films, love analyzing and thinking about them. So I'm very interested in, in the basic three-act structure of a story, you know, beginning, middle, and an end. But The Prisoner didn't really have that. And, and I found that fascinating. I, I was. I found the idea of someone fighting against the system really interesting. I like the idea that that, that that we didn't really know anything about Hero. We didn't know what his name was. We didn't know what his, we don't even know what his background is. I mean, you know, I know McGrewing himself said that that it, when when he came up with the idea, it, you know, the prisoner could have been a scientist. He could have been a secret agent. You know, we didn't actually know what he was, and it's never actually alluded to what his job is. And but just the idea that this man loses his identity, he ends up in this mysterious place. And that they're constantly trying to, he's trying to escape. I love the idea of characters trying to escape from somewhere. I just find it, I just find it really interesting. And the thing about, about, about the general is that it's, it's so surreal. It's so strange. It's sort of, it, it, it's just a bizarre episode. But, but there's something about it, which is, maybe it comes down to McGowan himself, who I've always found to be a very, uh, very exciting actor to watch. I mean, if you've ever seen his, his Columbo appearances, mm. they're just, in fact, there's an interesting Columbo where McGowan's in it, and he might have even directed it. He plays a secret agent who's committed murder. Mm. And that's fantastic because you can watch it and you can think, is this number six? You know, is, is this a story that we don't know about? And I find that, you know, I find that fascinating. So I can't tell you beyond the fact that, that it just immensely delighted me when I first watched it, and it's stayed with me ever since. So that's it, my favourite episode. And now, actually, I'm starting to wonder, it'd be really good if uh, if Columbo was the real number one at the end of the series. <laughs> oh, well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> just, just, just one more thing, number six. <laughs> one, one more thing, one more thing. Maybe he is. We, we, we don't know, do we? So there we are. Uh, so Titan is bringing the prisoner back in comic book form. Are they? Who told you that? Well, we have it on good authority from somebody. <laughs> okay, all right, go on. Um, why do you think uh, the show has such an enduring appeal? Bring it back after 50 years. I mean, not many shows have such a strong legacy after that time, given they only ran for a relatively short period in the 60s. Well, that's, that, that's, that's really interesting because, uh, I mean, I think, I think we, we were at Titan. We were really excited by, by the, by the, by the uh, response to the first issue because it has been exceptional. I mean, um, I, I have to say, I mean, it's, it's, this, isn't, this isn't the first sort of, I call it vintage because it's from the 50s. So you could say anything, anything that's more than 50 years old becomes vintage by the fact it's 50 years old. So I've also worked on things like Fighting American, and I've just finished a, a Dan Dare, uh, relaunching Dan Dare again, also written by Peter Milligan. Um, so these, these are all you know, old shows that are 50 years old, and we bring them back for a new 21st century audience. And I find that is quite interesting. Now, the thing about The, the Prisoner is 
I, I stupidly, because there's only 17 episodes, I think. 17, yeah, isn't it? Is yeah. it six? Yeah, 17 episodes. So, you know, as you're right, it's like that's not a lot of episodes for people to be passionate about. But the thing I know about The Prisoner is that its fan base is fanatical. But the fact that they used to meet up at, uh, at Port Marion every year, they'd go and have conventions there and all that, they were really protective and really loyal about it. So it was interesting to discover that The, the Prisoner had such, such a loyal original fan base. And I, I assume that 50 years later, the fan base wouldn't be as, as strong. But the response to the first issue has, has been really exciting. You know, people really want this. And, and it came as a, as a nice surprise to me because I didn't realise that the, 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 I literally didn't realise it was going to be this, this much excitement about it. And I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled. So I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what, it, what, what its appeal is. Maybe it comes down to what I said. There's something about it, which I think we've always loved the idea of, of spies. But there's something, there's something about the prisoner as a character, you know, fighting against this mysterious place, you know, trying to sort of break free from someone's control. I think it's just it's just it resonates with people. It's an idea that, that, that people people like. It's a, it's a yeah, I think that's it. It just it just it resonates. It still resonates to this day. And what were your initial thoughts on actually putting the, the comic book together? I mean, was it? obvious that you were going to tell a fresh story within the mythology of the show or were you going to uh, reimagine it or tell more stories featuring the original number six i mean did you actually think of different ways of tackling the topic yeah i, I did i mean um one of the things we do is uh, as an editor is that when we're given a project we we have to come up with an initial sort of pitch about what we want to do with the, with this title which we then present to the license holder and then it's, it's based on that whether they 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 give us the license or not so we do a fair bit of work at the beginning just coming up with different ideas and we we had lots of ideas that we worked up around the prisoner and i initially sat down and thought well you know like you said should we do the original prisoner and one of the things that occurred to me was we couldn't do the further adventures of the original prisoner unless we set it back in the past and i didn't really want to do that i i sort of thought it was i thought it'd be interesting to see what's happening now but I also thought it was interesting to imagine that, that, that the village itself is, is, is the story, that the actual prisoner, he's a character who had been in the village, but the village still exists. You know? So I, I thought that, for me, sometimes uh, environments and locations are a character in their own right. And that's what interested me, which was, if the village was still, still around now, you know, what would it be like? And I think that, that was the starting point. But initially, yeah, we did look at it. I looked at ideas like, could it be the son of number, the original number six? Could he be going back for revenge? Uh, could he be, you know, or maybe we do, like you suggested, we do one set in the 60s and do that again. But I thought, well, what's the point in doing that? Because number six escaped, or at least I consider he escaped. So why, why go back and do it again? What, what's he going to do? You know, he, he, he wakes up and he's back in the village. It, it, it would be, for me, I felt that would be sort of, um, unfair to the character you know I, I like to think that, that number six escaped you know he's free of it you know why stick him back in it? it it felt it felt a little bit nasty you know you went to all the trouble to escape and actually go and bang him back in again hey thanks guys what more do you want <laughs> you know so no i wanted to do something new with him i sort of wanted i mean i think i think what it was was the, it was the idea of i think with always this sort of stuff that sometimes i, I get given challenges to to, to do a, a, a titan you know can you come up with a new idea for this old this old uh, property what do you think and i go away and i think about it and I, I have the sort of brain which is if you if you say one thing to me my brain is instantly racing off coming up with ideas and solutions because that's how my brain works so when it when it came to the, the prisoner it was like what, what what would i you know what would i do with this world what could i what could i you know how could i get the ball rolling because obviously i don't want to do too much work because I, I i need to find a writer who wants to work in it so i don't want to i don't want to create a world and, and then go to the writer right that's it you've got to write this you know i've just got to i've just got to do broad brushstrokes and then leave it to the writer to do the rest you know so it's it's a, it's a it's a difficult area because you want to 
it's a different balance to achieve. It's just to set the scene and, and then leave it to a good writer. Someone like, like Peter, I mean, he's such a, a brilliant writer to work with, and he comes up with ideas which are just exhilarating. So uh, for him, I found, you know, I found working with him was just terrific. Once he sort of saw the sort of, you know, the broad breaststrokes I come up with, he was really happy to run with it, and, and that was that was great fun. Um, so back to your question, because I have this tendency to ramble. Um, I think it's the, uh, the rattling. I need to take more of it because it keeps me focused. Uh, I think what it was was that I just decided to um, do a new story set in the village, and do it in the present. But the, the weird thing is the village, when you're in the village, it's the village that we all saw on the TV show. It's, it's, but the, uh, the fact is, how can it still be the village? How, you know, how has nothing changed? You know, even down to the fact that everything still looks like the 1960s, and yet it's clearly set in the present. So I wanted to make it, and Peter was really keen that we kept the whole surreal aspect of it, because he felt that the original show was very surrealistic. We wanted to keep, so we wanted to keep people sort of confused and a bit, trying to, trying to, work out what we're up to what, what's going on what's real what's not real so i think that's the other aspect of the, of the show which was you were never too sure whether the whole thing wasn't just a trick mm. yeah so i i'm rambling and i'm stumbling along drunkenly <laughs> hoping that you'll you'll pull me back onto on track <laughs> well going back to your point about um the uh the location as a character in many you know many stories yes. um, have you actually been to port marion actually been to the village oh, i have i went to a wedding at port marion oh yeah it's very nice but you managed to escape afterwards. Oh yeah, well it was quite easy. There, yes, it was quite easy. But then I am an international spy, a man of mystery, so it's quite <laughs> you know easy for likes of me. But yeah, I have been there. I, I was, I thought it was, I thought it was lovely. I mean, it's sort of thing that I think the internet's ruined a lot of things because you know everything is just a, a few clicks away from finding out. And in in the good old days, in, in good old days, you know you'd have to find this stuff out, and 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 you'd you'd come across the odd odd photograph here or there or the odd program so port marion was this mysterious place and i can remember when when my friend got married there it was like wow port marion fantastic and we you know spend a day traveling to get there and it's just it's just lovely it's, it's absolutely lovely and you can see why why they picked it as a location because it's sort of it's just perfect because it, it, it is so odd it's here it's in north wales it's it sort of it's sat on the coast in north wales and it's just this strange italian romantic village um, yes, it's, it's, it's a fantastic location. If you haven't been, I'd say, you know, drop, stop this podcast now and just go now. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be my advice. Okay, note to our listeners, please don't do that. Uh, please keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you guys, not listening. I mean, you guys, stop now. Just just stop and go. And then they won't know because when they come back, you can just click and say, right, we've been, it's great, we're back. <laughs> They're not going to know. Um, so we read the first issue. It's absolutely oh, fantastic. Did you enjoy? Yes, we did. I mean, it's a great story. Oh, it looks fantastic as well. It does. That's that's Colin Lorimer and Joanne uh, Duffuente. I mean, you know, brilliant, a brilliant art team. Uh, I'm glad you like the look of it. I mean, I think I think that, that was, um, you know, working with Colin. It's, it's, I've been trying to work with Colin now for a couple of years. Um, we we first got in contact when I was doing um, a Blacklist comic, mm. and Colin was. Uh, he was going to draw it for me, but um, we couldn't get the schedule to work, so he did covers for me instead. Mm. So I've been looking for a project. And um, when I went looking for an art team, he was one of the first artists I approached because I just wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to work with him. But I just thought it would be, you know. And he's 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 surpassed my expectations. I I mean, I've just got the inks in for the second issue, and they're just they're fantastic. So it was great. And then I think you know, uh, not just obviously you know Joanne's coloring. I think that, you know as a team, I know that they work together on quite a few projects. But she compliments his artwork brilliantly. So it, it's uh, for an editor, uh, it's it's just a dream come true to be honest. So they're great, but don't let them don't let them know that I've said that. I think they're both terrible. I think uh, <laughs> I think you know I never want to work with either one of them again. It's been awful. <laughs> so 
so there we are. But I'm glad you liked it, though. I think it's a, I think this is this is the thing. It always when you're when you're dealing with old characters and and there's there's such loved characters, it's always scary about about what fans will think of what you yeah. what you've done with it. You know, I mean, I, I've just come back from a, from a weekend spent with the Dan Dare Society, where I had to talk to a room full of fanatical Dan Dare fans about Dan Dare, and that was quite scary because these are guys who are in their late seventies and who've been reading Eagle and Dan Dare since they were kids. <laughs> So you can imagine how sort of hardcore they were. And I've just finished doing a four-issue run, also written by Milligan. And it was weird to talk to them and get them on, on my side because I, I was terrified that they were all going to be like, what have you done to Dan Dare? <laughs> but they weren't. They actually, they were, <laughs> they were lovely. They were absolutely wonderful. So it was a nice, it was a nice experience. So it is, it is always, you know, a bit nerve-wracking when you take much-loved characters and you sort of, you do something new with them. I mean, I always try and be very respectful. I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of like taking someone else's toys and breaking them. I want to sort of take someone else's toys and, and play with them and sort of go, but what if? I'm a big what if fan. I'm a big of sort of fan of taking an idea and, and, and slightly tilting to one side and looking at with one eye closed and squinting to the other one. <laughs> I think you find interesting stuff going on then. So what can fans of The Prisoner expect from the new comic series? Um... <laughs> <laughs> what can they do? There's so much I want to say, but I, I don't want to say too much in, in case I, I sort of, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to give anything away. Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously, obviously, you've read the first issue, yeah. so you, you know, but uh, and the first issue's not gone on sale yet. It doesn't go on sale until I think next week. Yeah. I think it's so. I don't want to say too much, but I mean, I mean, so obviously, it's not giving anything away to say that our hero wakes up in the village. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to tell you guys why he's in the village you've read the first issue you know why yeah. he's in the village but the readers they don't so i love the idea and i i think i think modern comics are different from from old comics and old tv shows things take a lot longer to get going so with the prisoner the original prisoner tv show the prisoner ends up in the village at the end of the opening credits you know so credits music credit stop he's in the village but i wanted to, i wanted to spend longer i wanted to sort of introduce our character and then reveal the village later on so that's different about issue you know issue one is it's sort of introducing it in a different way but once once what can what can readers expect that it's 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 a twisty one it's a strange one it's surreal there's certainly there's certainly elements that they're going to know it's it's in the village and when 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 number six the new number six because our hero is is designated number six mm. and there's a number two and there's obviously the you know ubiquitous but unseen number one so all the elements are in place there's also the undertaker the rovers are there it takes place in like i say you know port marion plays a big part but is it port marion clearly it can't be port marion because that's the other thing how do you hide something like the village in in, in a modern world mm-hmm. so in in the prison that we have at the minute, we have, and it, as it says in as it says in the um, the story so far page, which is you know information is power. It says that the village is the most secret place in the world. Is that you know it's the darkest secret of the intelligence service. No one knows who runs it. It's you know it seems to be utterly uh, autonomous. Um, no one can control it. But it's also the place you know it prides itself on mental fracking. It'll get any secret from any person. So we have a hero who's in the village and he's trying to protect the secret, and the village wants to get the secret. So there's there's nothing different there. So we, we've kept the same formula of the show because why change that formula it's a brilliant formula you know so we have a hero he's in the village the village wants the information that he has but the village the, the, the hit by hero number six he has his own agenda so i think that's that's exciting i think so what can the readers expect like i say they can expect all, all the elements that they saw from the original tv show 
but it's it's a slightly more modern it's a modern take on it it's a bit it's a bit sort of there's there's a you know I know that number six wasn't he wasn't designated actually as a spy as McGowan said himself you know he might be a spy he might also be a scientist he he never actually explained what, what the prisoner was or who he was or what his job was you know it was it was left to be you know interpreted I always assumed he was a secret agent because because he had fighting skills and I don't know many scientists that can beat people up <laughs> you know so um, <laughs> apart from Stephen Hawkins apparently he had a really he could really hit you with his wheelchair and you, you'd feel it so. Um, I wanted, I, you know, I, as far as I was concerned, he was, you know, he was a secret agent. It, it made sense to me, and I thought it, it would work better if he was rather than a scientist, you know. I thought that the idea that he could fight would be helpful. So, anyway, what can I expect? A lot of weirdness, a lot of strangeness. Um, um, <laughs> I really want to tell you more stuff, and I feel I shouldn't, <laughs> so I can't. No, I think that's great, because, and to be honest, we read the first issue, and the strangest thing is, although we can tell people who are listening that it's, really fantastic and you will like it if you're a fan of the prisoner it's one of those things where we don't really want to give anything away i think you should just read it i know um i know because it it? is a wholly original take i think i think that's a that's a non-spoilery thing today um (laughs) but it is set within some very recognizable and definitively prisoner-esque elements um, yes. which really make it part of the mythology um yeah it's it's well worth it but we also don't want to spoil it too much but thanks for giving us a few hints as well okay i think i think come issue four uh, there'll be a whole load of you hunting me down with uh, pitchforks and, and flaming torches wanting to kill me <laughs> is that going to be related to the comic or some other reason <laughs> yeah oh no just in general just my voice is very annoying um do you think you actually need to have watched the show to to get the comic or could you read the comic independently Oh, that's a really, that's a hard question. That is a tricky question. Um, I would like to think, uh, I, I always, um, I'm, I'm um, when I, when I uh, <laughs> to answer your question, let me get, let me take you back a few years to when I was a young man starting out my editorial career. So I worked, I worked for Marvel UK as, a, as an editor. That, that, I started off as a cartoonist and then after a number of years as a cartoonist doing my own stuff, I ended up working for Marvel as an editor. And one of the, one of the, they taught me quite a few very, very valuable lessons as an editor. And certainly the old Marvel school of editing was really interesting. So I, I'll give you a couple of quick lessons. And there is a reason I'm doing this. One of them is, is make sure that your word balloons only have 30 words in them, which is, which is, a, <laughs> Which just seems like a strange thing, but it's actually a very good, a very good rule. Is that I always try and keep the word count down in the balloon, and it, it is helpful because if you have too many words in the balloon, a the balloons look a bit cluttered, but also people stop reading them. Mm. Even comic fans will stop reading it if there's too much in the balloon; they'll just start skimming it. But the other thing that they taught me was. I always assume that someone who's reading a comic for the very first time has never read a comic, which is why in the good old days of Marvel and DC Comics, you'd always have an explanation of what your character was on the very first page. So Peter Parker is uh, you know, bitten by a radioactive spider, gained the powers of a, of a spider, you know. And so we're told the character. So with the, with the prisoner, we have that introduction page which explains what the you know vaguely what the village is and i've just you know paraphrased and quoted from it you know it's the place where mental fracking takes place so we've done that as a sort of introduction and i wanted to sort of set it you would you don't need to have seen the original show because the original show is alluded to what, what, what we know about the character you know, straight away we know that he's he's and it doesn't give anything away we know he's on the run we know he's being chased we know he has information which is valuable so it's clear that he's going to become He's a target. The village wants him because he has information, which is what they're interested in. So I don't think you need to have watched the TV show, but I, I, I think no, I, I don't think you do. I think I think I think there's enough there. There's enough of a story that you, that will hook you and make you intrigued. And hopefully, if you have never seen the TV show, 
you might want to go and watch the original because I think it's worth watching. I think it still holds up. I think it, even after all these years, there's nothing like it on TV. I mean, you know, you can look at loads of modern shows and you can say, well, they owe they owe a debt of of uh, a debt to that show. I mean, Lost is a uh, is the prisoner, but um, you know, ruined. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so a lot of these shows, they owe something to the prison. I mean, geez, it was done in the 60s. I mean, it must have been. I remember my parents, I remember my mum telling me that, that she'd watched it when it was first on TV. I mean, I was too little. I was too little to watch it. She was saying that, 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 <laughs> that the papers were furious the day after the last episode was broadcast because no one could understand it. <laughs> and, and isn't that incredible that a TV show can, can have that effect? I mean, that you, you, also that, that, that like, like it's the Lou Grade actually let a show like that go out. I mean, it's just astonishing. I mean, it, it sort of almost beggars belief that, 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 a, that a medium still in its infancy in that respect would do a show so, so left, left of field, so, so, so eccentric, so, so bizarre and different. There's no frame of reference. Other people couldn't have gone, oh, well, this reminds you of another show. It was totally groundbreaking. That's astonishing. So I'm rambling again. <laughs> it's fine. So this initial series is a four-issue miniseries, I believe? Yes, that's correct. Um, do you think there are more stories to tell in this new iteration of The Prisoner? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, Peter and I have, have discussed it, and uh, he's, he's, got, he's got loads more ideas. I mean, um, we're actually um, discussing, you know, carrying the series on once the four issues are over. Uh, it's bringing it back for more. So it's that um, we haven't finished at all. I mean, I think... Uh, we want to do more stories. I mean, I think I think what's interesting is you've, you've got um, you've got the radio adventures, which uh, not radio, you, yeah, you've got the audio adventures of, of the prisoner, and and they're keeping it, you know, set in the '60s. But we're trying to do something set in in the present, and I think uh, I think both of them can can coexist because they both deal with the, with the village um, as the village. You know, it's it's still the same location. But I, I think I think that there's there's a universe to explore. There's um, I don't mean. I don't... Well, maybe there is. Maybe there. I know, I know that they did one setting up, set on the moon, didn't they? They had they had a village on the moon. Yeah. Um, but um, certainly, certainly, I'm not. So I'm not. When I say universe, I don't mean <laughs> the universe. I mean, as in, you know, you know, you know what I mean, guys. <laughs> so yeah, I think there's there's loads more that, that I think would be very interesting to explore. So I'm very excited by that prospect, definitely. And issue one is going to be out uh, this Wednesday, which is April 25th. Uh, what's going to be the actual release schedule of the comic and where can people get their hands on it? Uh, it's, going to, it's going to be monthly. So issue one comes out this month and then every month roughly the same sort of time. So, you know, 23rd, 24th, that sort of, I think it's a Thursday. It's always a Thursday of the month. Uh, for the next four issues, it's going to come out one one issue every month, and then it'll be collected together into a into a graphic novel collection. I think two or three months after that. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's it, really. And it'll be it'll be the, the comics themselves will be available in comic shops. Uh, so anywhere that sells U.S. style comic books, that's where you'll find it. It won't be sold in the, in like Greengrocers or Smiths or anything, but it will be sold in comic shops and then the graphic novel itself will be sold uh, on amazon and in bookshops and anywhere that graphic novels are sold that's where you'll get it so if you want to get it i would badger your comic shop your local comic shop to put an order in excellent and i'd also like to add that the first issue comes with an absolutely fantastic set of variant covers as well which we've oh. already got a selection of already so uh well the, the, what's lovely about that is what, what's really nice is that there are six covers which we, we would n never normally do it but uh, i basically said look we, we've got to do six for this because you know number six it makes sense but also covers are normally there are covers a covers b covers c and so on and so forth but for this comic it's cover one cover two right the way through to six <laughs> and we've got some fantastic covers i mean we've got one that's been uh drawn and, and colored by michael and, uh, and Laura Allred. 
that's our number one cover. We've got a we've got a Patrick McGowan photo cover. We've got a Jack Kirby black and white cover, which was um, which we can come to in a minute if you like. Then we've got a version of that that was coloured by uh, by Mike Orrid himself. Then there's a Colin Lorimer cover, which is just beautiful. Uh, we've also got a cover by um, oh my brain, don't find me brain. Come on, brain, you can do it. Look, there's the finishing line. Quick, quick, quick. Uh, John McCree, he's done us a cover which is lovely, which is the prisoner being smothered by rovers, which is very nice. Uh, and then we've got um, we've got a pay- we've got a black and white version of uh, Mike Orrid's cover. So um, six covers, I think I just did there. Oh, and there's also yeah. the Chris Weston one. Oh my gosh, the Chris! Oh yeah, now that's an exclusive. And the Big Finish one. That, uh, yeah. Yes, yes, Big Finish. Oh no, the reason I didn't mention those is the Big Finish and the Chris Weston. They're both store exclusive covers, so they've been done. Uh, obviously. Um, um, Big finish. They've got they've got the special exclusive cover which which they're selling themselves. And the Chris Weston was done as a store exclusive, so that's very good. And then come the graphic novel, we're going to have a a, a newer, a, a more exclusive cover again, <laughs> which has been drawn by um, uh, Ryan Hughes. He's done us a cover, and that's going to be a store exclusive graphic novel cover. Wow! So it's uh, it's it's exciting times. It's very exciting times. It's it's a wonderful project, honestly. I, I'm 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 so chuffed to be a part of it because. Um, you know, like I say, it's, it's a show that I've been aware of my whole life, and it, and it's just great to be a small a small cog in the, in this lovely machine. You know, so for me, uh, the thing about the, the the prisoner comic is it's not just a one man thing; it's, it's a team effort, and it's not just the people who make the comics or the people behind the scenes at Titan, for example. But it's it's the it's the the team that put it together who who are very important. So you've got Peter Milligan, the writer, fantastic stuff. You've got Colin Orman, the artist, fantastic stuff. You've got Joanne De Fuente, the colorist. Fantastic. You've got Simon Boland, the letterer. Fantastic. You've got me, uh, an editor, uh, average. And then behind the scenes, you've got all the people who worked at the marketing. You've got Chris Thompson, who, who you know, worked on uh, on promoting it and the marketing it. You've got Ricky. Uh, you've got you've got loads of people who all contributed to actually, you know, helping to make this comic what it is. So it's, it's just, and that's what I find exciting about comics is it's not it's not a one trick pony. There's a whole load of people all working to make this thing coalesce into into something. And that's what's exciting about it. That's what I get a real buzz out of. So I want to thank all those people. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love you all. Now, you alluded to it a little bit earlier on, um, but I thought I'd ask you a little bit about what Titan's future plans are for The Prisoner, because you mentioned uh, Jack Kirby. I did. And we wondered if you could say a little bit more about that. Okay, so th- this, is, this is something, uh, as I talk to you, the hairs on my arms are standing up, because this, this is something which is genuinely... I think astonishing. So one of the things I do at Titan, uh, beyond doing originated uh, comics for the US market, I also do vintage collections for Titan. So I've done collections of of, uh, Flash Gordon. I've done collections of Mandrake the Magician. I've done collections of Betty Boop and all sorts of things. And I do the Dan Dare collections for Titan Comics. Uh, So one of the things that that, that came with us when we, we got the license to do The Prisoner was to, honestly, this is, this, I find this so exciting. We got we got the rights to do to reprint the original Jack Kirby and Gil Kane prisoner pages. So back in the back in the seventies, Marvel Comics got the license to do a prisoner comic, uh, and they did one they did one issue they did the first issue. So they took Arrival and they got Steve Englehart. Uh, he wrote a version of the script, and Gil Kane drew it. He drew uh, I think it was seventeen pages. And it got uh, it just got to the pencil stage. Now Jack Kirby at the time had been working at DC, and then he came back to Marvel Comics, and he got given a whole load of new stuff. But he also got given all of these really interesting adaptations. So I think at the same time he did an, uh, an extraordinary adaptation of 2001: A Space Odyssey. He did an adaptation of the movie, and then he then he did a 10 issue series based on the characters from that. 
but he also had a shot at doing The Prisoner. So he did an 18-page version that he wrote and drew of The Prisoner. When it was finished, it just sat there. Marvel did nothing with it. So Marvel had these two, two comic strips drawn by arguably the two greatest or two of the greatest comic book artists who have ever lived. Gil Kane and Jack Kirby. I mean, these these guys, Jack Kirby himself is, you know, I mean, it, 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 Jack Kirby's impact on the comic world is genuinely astonishing. Genuinely. I mean, he's going to be, he has to go down the history as one of the most important artistic people who's ever lived because because his output was just, just beautiful. His artwork was gorgeous. So anyway, this artwork sat around for, for 30, even longer than that, because it was drawn back in the 70s and we're now in the year 2018 or so, I'm told. So that's, that's, that's quite a long time. Was that 40-odd years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, about 40-odd, maybe even 50. I know, it can't be 50, can it? Anyway, my maths has never been my strong point, so uh, maybe one of you guys can work out how many years has been. Anywho, so they did nothing with it, but we got the rights to, to, do, to, do, to reprint the stuff for the very first time. So the internet has, has sometimes shown pages of, of Jack Kirby and sometimes shown pages of Gil Kane, but they've never been collected, they've never been presented together. So one of my jobs as the editor was to find the artwork. Now, that took me 18 months of searching to find the people who own the artwork, and luckily I did. So I found, in fact, in fact, the Gil Kane artwork was, was, was actually very easy to find. That, that wasn't a problem at all. And um, the owner uh, uh, was a guy called uh, Bob Wayne, who uh, used to be at uh, DC. He was one of the big headshots, of, uh, head, head honchos at DC Comics. And uh, he bought the pages. They belonged to him. And so we did, you know, we talked to him and uh, we, got, we got the pages to, to, for Gil Kane. And then I went after the Jack Kirby. And like I say, that took a very long time. It, 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 was, it was, you know, it's actually worthy of a, of a film in its own right, you know, trying to, trying to hunt down the owner. And we finally did. And we, we came to an agreement with the owner. And he gave us permission to, to use the artwork. And then I can still remember the day when I got sent the high-risk scans of the pages. So these are scans that were taken from the original artwork. And they were full-color scans, original artwork. And you're talking that each page was over 100 meg in size, okay? And I got these pages, and it was like it was as close as you'll ever get to actually holding the original artwork. And I, I almost cried. I, I was, uh, it, it was so thrilling, and and I was blown away by it because it was beautiful. Now, interesting enough, the first five pages of Jack Kirby stuff had been inked by his, I think, one of his best inkers, which was a guy called Mike Royer, uh, who's a legend. Uh, he inked the first five pages, but the rest of it was was lettered but not inked. So what we had was we had the first five pages, we had the rest of the strip all in in Jack Kirby pencils. And we had the artwork. Um, then it came a point of what can we do for bonus material? Now, I, I got a, a friend of mine who's a huge uh, Prisoner fan, a cartoonist called Lou Stringer. He, got, he put me in contact with, uh, with another Uber fan. And he – now, I should point out that – uh, sorry, my brain's whizzing all over the place. Because one of the other things was that I got, I, I got in contact with Steve Englehart, who's the writer of The Gil Kane. Now, he was brilliant. He was really helpful. He also he – had, he had photocopies of his original script that he'd written for the prisoner. And so he sent me those along with this really faded uh, scans of photocopies of the original ITC press book that was issued by ITC back in the day wow. to promote the TV show. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So I, I put out feelers to see whether I could find an original copy of it. And Lou Stringer put me in contact with, uh, with the writer. Um, now, while I go, um, and th this guy who got in contact, and I'm going to tell you his name in a minute, but um, I, I'm going to have to read the page to find what his name is. So bear with me while I, while I, while I go through the pages. Anyway, he sent me, and this is so wonderful. This is what I absolutely love about prisoner fans. In fact, not just prisoner fans, but basically anybody, anybody who's a fan of this stuff, they really, they're, they're, they're fans because they love the show and they want to help. They want to get involved. They want to share. And that's what makes dealing with them so wonderful. 
you know. And so this guy, so he sent me, he sent me the ITC thing. He actually sent me the the, 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 the original booklet, and it was in mint, pristine collection. So we've actually got permission from ITV, who own obviously own the prisoner, to reprint it. So for the first time ever, it's being reprinted in the back of the book. And not only that, but I actually got the, I actually got the. Um, the Gil Kane artwork lettered by uh, old school letterer. So he did it. He actually lettered it. Um, Ricky Davy, that's his name. Ricky Davy of the Unmutual website. He actually he actually loaned me the um, the ITV press book, which is wonderful. So we're reprinting that in the back of the book. We've got the Gil Kane strip lettered by Rick Parker, who's a, who's a brilliant cartoonist and letterer. Um, and we're presenting the pages along with along with a transcription of of uh, Steve Englehart's original scripts because the actual photocopies were were done on original uh, Xeroxes and they they we just couldn't get a good enough a good enough copy for actually for the book so we transcribed the script and then got him to approve the actual transcription so um, you know it's actually word for word exactly what he wrote and then we got it lettered so it, the book is just packed full of this gorgeous stuff so we got. Engelhart also wrote us a piece about um, how he got involved with it and, and his dealings with it. And then we've got Mike Roy, the inker of Jack Kirby, to write us a forward all about working um, uh, with Jack Kirby, but also meeting Patrick McGowan on, on the sound uh, stage at uh, Disney Studios. It's incredible. Which is just fantastic. <laughs> I know, I know, honestly. But, but the icing on the cake, okay, this book is humongous. Uh, because we, we've done an actual facsimile, actual size of the pages. So this book this is a big book. I mean, you know, you're looking at a book that's like, I think it's 17 centimetres tall. You know, I think it's 11 centimetres wide, 17 centimetres tall. It's a big it's book. Centimetres or inches? And it's wonderful. Oh, um, <laughs> inches. There was a bit of a Stonehenge moment oh, yeah, there, wasn't there? Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah. And this is a very small book. No, it's a very big book. Uh, yes, inches. It's 17 by 11 inches. So it's, it's, uh, it's astonishing. It's, it's a really big book. So what you should do is, it, when you go out and buy this book, is you should all read it wearing shorts and get a photo taken. You look like you're a little kid <laughs> reading the coin book. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really excited about that. So, you know, it, it, that's the great thing is the prisoner. It's not just this new comic. It's it's doing this old vintage stuff. It's the prospect of doing new stuff with it as well. It, it's hopefully the beginning of sort of, uh, you know, a new era of the prisoner. It'd be fantastic to actually think that, that we can actually bring him forward for a, a whole new generation, you know, and get a whole new load of readers interested in the old stuff and the new. So jolly exciting times. Yeah, and is there an expected release date for the new Kirby Kane book? Uh, I think I think it coincides with the 50th anniversary in the states of the show's first broadcast. So I think it's July time. Excellent. Yeah, I I, I can't give you. I mean, I, I I could I could probably I can get you a definite date. I'm just I'm just not I'm not at my working computer, obviously. So, but I know that we wanted it to coincide with the with the launch of the of the uh, the 50th anniversary. Certainly, certainly, this is the 50th year that it was first first broadcast in the states i know that 50 years last year in england or the uk and 50 years in the, in the states this year well david i think we're going to have to have you on the podcast again to talk just about that oh. I think you've got a lot of stories to tell about that series as <laughs> oh well. i'd love to i'd love to thanks yeah. very much guys that'd be awesome so we'd like to thank you david for taking the time to uh tell us all about the work uh you've been doing putting the new titan comic prisoner series together um just a reminder for everyone it's out uh this wednesday april 25th and we think everyone should read it because it's absolutely fantastic. Although we haven't read issues two to four, so it could it could all go sour. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's a really great read and a fantastic addition to the uh, uh, to the prisoner canon. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, David, thanks a lot for joining us. You're welcome. And be seeing you. Yeah, definitely be seeing you. All right then, guys. Thanks ever so much, and um, and see you in the village.
So we'd like to thank David for taking the time to chat to us about his work putting together, well, I think a lot of the different prisoner projects which are taking place Titan Comics at the moment. As we said at the top of the episode, our next interview is with Peter Milligan, who's a legendary comic book writer, written a tremendous number of series for Marvel, for DC, for Vertigo, for absolutely everyone. And Peter is also a fan of the original series as well. We were delighted to chat to him about what his thoughts are on the show and on the new series as well. So we're delighted to be joined now by Peter Milligan, the comics writer. He's written extensively for Marvel, DC, 2000 AD. He's the longest running writer on my own personal favourite comic, Hellblazer. And he's now the writer behind the new version of The Prisoner coming up from Titan Comics. Hi, Peter. Hello. Hi, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, It's a pleasure. How did this new comic... I don't really know whether to call it an adaptation or a, a continuation of The Prisoner. What was the origin of it? Well, I mean, it's often a question one gets asked, uh, how did this comic come about? And usually the stories, uh, the answer's usually really boring. And it came about from having a lunch with uh, the editor, David Leach, David Leach uh, um Titan Books. And he said they want to do this, uh, they want to do this um, Prisoner. He had kind of a rough kind of uh, outline. Uh, but wish I could then uh, mess around with my own stamp with and make out of what I wanted, uh, i.e. the characterization, i.e. the themes, these things which I think are stuff I'm interested in. Uh, so we kind of I, I, I kind of liked where he was wanted to head with it, and he liked what I did with that, and we uh, and we um, decided to come in. There's been quite a few attempts at going back to the Prisoner universe or reimagining it in some way. There was a, a rather unsuccessful miniseries about 10 years ago. Um, there was a, another comic in the past. There's been the, the audio books. Um, were you concerned by any of the reception that they had had? Or were you not too worried about what a, a, quite a sort of fickle fandom might think about it? No, honestly, I wasn't too worried because you never know. You never know what uh, the zeitgeist is going to bring. But um, no, I think what you can do is what you can do is uh, be, on, be confident that what you're writing is something you care about and you think is interesting and you think is true to something you believe in. Uh, and I did, and I do, and so therefore I think... Uh, I think. Um, I mean, what's interesting about... I'll take on the, on the vote. We, we weren't desperately trying to uh, reinvent the, the village wheel. We weren't... Our job was not to uh, uh, retell the village or... But the village is really, uh, or the prisoner, uh, is really a part of a story that we're telling, or I'm telling. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I think in that, in that way, because it's not purely about the village, it's not purely about the prisoner, it's about a person, a character's attitude towards it, and his relationship with it. I think that way it's, we're not trying to, we're not trying to change what happened in the past, in the sense we're honouring it, um, it's actually a lot of it was fantastic. I mean, in this world of this uh, story that I've, I've written, um, all that happened in the past existed, and it's referred to, and the village is referred to, and even number six is referred to. Uh, so it, it, we exist in the same universe. So we're not trying to change the universe, but we're simply telling a story about 
now and about um, about a character who exists now and about what the village is up to now. Were you ever tempted to write a story about number six or did you always want from the very beginning to have a new character? Well, you know, I wanted a new character because I think you just have more freedom uh, to kind of tell the story you want to tell. As soon as it's about number six, you're kind of, uh, I think you're, uh, you're hamstrung a little bit by um, what you can and cannot do for legal reasons and for artistic reasons and for uh, the story was told, so there was so much of it was told in the past. Unless you had a really burning desire to, uh, to write a story and you really had a, something important to say about number six, what's the point? Because they said so much back then. And that's like, if, it's, if you had an idea and if you had something you were burning and really hot to uh, say about number six, absolutely, it was worthwhile. I didn't. I didn't want to go back there. Um, but I liked the idea of operating in a universe where all that stuff existed, or had existed. We talk a lot on the podcast about the reasons why the prisoner remains so kind of politically and socially relevant, even though it's been half a century since it was made. Uh, was that one of the things that attracted you to wanting to use the village and, and those ideas as a starting point? I think the reason why I think the reason why the reason why the, uh, the prisoner and the village has remained, if you like relevant or interesting is because because it was so undefined or ill-defined deliberately so i think it can mean anything uh to anyone and i think that uh it's like by becoming everything it becomes every possibility of everything and um so i think that because it was not specific who was number six what was he there for what is the village these are questions that are never answered uh clearly uh in the in the in the story in the original program. So I think that therefore, uh, people can bring to the story um, what they wish to see out of it. And so I think it's quite malleable in that way. And it's quite uh, sh shaped by people's expectations or people's uh, wishes. In the original series, there was a lot of ambiguity about number six, the, the fact that we, he didn't even have a name that we were aware of. Uh, you were never entirely sure what his job was, although you kind of suspected that it was something to do with being a spy. Uh, in the comic, you've very deliberately got a character who has a name and has a job from the very beginning. I was always kind of interested in the real numbers, number six. I was always, I mean, the parts of the prisoner, I think because of a lot of my, my comic work is quite weird, I'm known for doing quite weird stuff. I mean, people expect me to have loved the weirder parts of the prisoner. And some of the stuff was great, but I always liked the uh, stuff which was a bit serious and there's a sense of a real person. I always, uh, I think that that's scarier. I mean, I think, I mean, one of one of my one of my favourite uh, authors is uh, Franz Kafka. Uh, that took back in, uh, the trial and Metamorphosis and Castle. And I think that what makes him so uh, amazing and still relevant? First, uh, it's like a story like a Metamorphosis, where uh, Gregor Samsa wakes up and he's turned into a, a giant bug, and that's what the story is about. Uh, but what, I think what makes it chilling and what makes that story work is that his surroundings, he's in a very kind of domestic situation. He's in his bedroom, his sister and his father and his mother, he interacts with his very, for then, a very normal, recognisable, solid, real uh, environment. And I think that's what makes his predicament more scary. And I think it makes more real. And I think that it makes the unreal real. And I think that that's why that works. And I always felt that um, 
with the best parts of the system was when I kind of believed it. So in our story, um, we kind of draw the curtain back a little bit and we we really see more about our, our lead character, the person who, if you like, steps into the shoes of number six and becomes the new number six. Uh, uh, and we do, we kind of like, we, even though he's a man of many uh, identities, so we're never quite sure which one is the real uh, person, we kind of are much clearer about, much clearer about the kind of person he is, the kind of job he does. I'm a big fan of John le Carre, particularly his early novels, like The Spy Who Came From, In From The Cold, this is a fantastic novel. I always have loved that kind of uh, that kind of genre and that kind of manure. And I like I like the idea of a, a story that starts out as if it's that kind of story, as if it's a modern retelling of spy who came in from the cold, a kind of burnout spy, a guy who um a guy who has kind of forgotten how to what to believe in. In this world of in this in this world that we live in, uh, it's very easy to believe in nothing in this kind uh, and I think that's the place that our lead character seems to have got to. I like the idea of this uh, genre, uh, like the spy uh, genre, almost being kind of overtaken by uh, this other genre, this weird, uh, strange genre of the village. As our character slides towards the village, the telling of the story itself becomes less spy and more strange village prisoner type of a genre. So I like that idea of as our character is drawn towards the village, the style of the comic itself changes. So I forgot what the original question was, but yes, in this story, we know much more about our, in fact, it is about this character. It's about this, this normal cat, well, normal for the abnormal kind of world that he lives in, this spy world. Uh, it's about his uh, character and his character's relationship with uh, the village and, and what the village means. Uh, in, in, in our retelling of the story, uh, the village exists. Uh, it is, it, its closest analogy is a kind of terrorist organization, but it doesn't have any overt and obvious and meaningful uh, terrorist aims. Uh, in fact, one of, the, one of the things which people, which foxes people and uh, British intelligence so much about the village is exactly what does it mean? Because some of, some of it, what does it want? What, what's, why is it doing these things? And in many ways, this story is about finding out, finding the answer to uh, those uh, questions. What the hell does the British want? What the hell is it for? There's going to be four issues in the current run. So are, are you planning more already? Planning might be a slightly strong word, but I think uh, I am mapping out another idea. And I think if, if everyone's happy, I think, uh, I think the, with a fair wind, I think we'll probably do another storyline, but nothing is definite until it's uh, to the signs are delivered. You know. So we've had a look at issue one already. We've had a sneak preview of it. And you still want to talk to me? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> it looks really stunning. How do you work with uh, the artist Colin Lorimer on the the design of it? Do you give a lot of description about what it's going to look like, or do you give do you have general descriptions, or how, how does it work? Yeah, my scripts are and they're quite full. Uh, it's uh, I showed I showed um, a script um, uh, a comic script uh, to uh, a producer who worked for Hammer uh, Hammer Movies and she had never actually she had never never seen too much uh, comic book uh, stuff so I gave her a comic book and I showed her the uh, my my comic script uh, from from which the comic was uh, drawn and she kind of looked she was interested in looking at it and she said it's like some way 
it's like somewhere between, it's a bit more than just a normal uh, film script. It's more like a shooting script. Every shot I would describe. Uh, I describe fully enough, I think, that an artist, if he wants to add something more and just follow my, uh, just follow my descriptions, can just go along and just do it. Uh, the good artists uh, take what I've said and meant, but bring their artistic eye, perhaps to occasionally change things and have a better idea. And as long as they, uh, as long as they um, adhere to the meaning of the story uh, and they understand the meaning of the story and what their art is, a, what their art changes it or attempting to do is to tell that story, albeit in a slightly better way, I'm very happy with that. Have you ever been to Port Marion to look around the village itself? I have. What did you make of it? <laughs> it's amazing. It's small. <laughs> uh, it's small, uh, but yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's. It's strange because obviously it's not as strange as it's as it appears in the TV series. Yeah, it's it's smaller than you expect it's going to be because they were so clever with their use of locations. I think in in making multiple uses of the same location just from different angles and dressing things up differently. Yeah, I've been on it's multiple times and no <laughs> rovers came after me. I was really so. We, uh, I don't think we've seen Rover in the comics yet. Is Rover going to put in an appearance? Or can you not say? <laughs> well, um, let's put it this way. It's a distinct possibility. What do you make of what Rover is? Because this is something that we've debated quite a lot as to is whether it's organic or machine or Well and actually in this in this in our comic we uh give one uh suggestion of what it might be or what it what, what it might come from and what so we kind of like uh take some of the mystery of it away while still uh retaining hopefully enough that it could still be debated. I mean, who knows? I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, what we know what it represents, but what, what actually is it? I don't know, but well, I, I liked it. I liked the way it was so nebulous, and I liked the way it had it had a purpose without necessarily a function. Uh, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was, I mean, it's it's an interesting subject matter. But then, but you can always ask bigger. What is the village? What the hell does the village want? What what is the village? This this place to which this probable spy has been taken. What is it? it it's not the Russians. I mean, when it seems what's interesting when the, when the, when a, the prison was uh, created. Uh, it was obviously the height of the of the Cold War. Was, there was the East and the West. Obviously, what the village definitely isn't is communists or Americans. And it, so it sits outside. It's it's outside of a that kind of binary uh, 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 spy split that the world was actually seriously going through at the time. Um, so, but uh, the robots, when they're not, it's it's interesting because they could just have had guys uh, dressed up as holiday camp uh, redcoats running after them, <laughs> running after people that tried to escape. But it, it was just kind of a, a leap of genius, I think, to have these kind of strange bouncing balls. Probably dirt cheap as well. We had to have this strange balloon running around, and it kind of looked scary. It does. I, I think originally it was going to be some kind of buggy that they were going to have, and it kept getting stuck in the sand in the estuary, and, and it just wouldn't function, and they had to come up with something else. And you think it's... Thank God they did, because I can't quite imagine the prisoner being the same <laughs> with some kind of strange buggy going around after them. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could have tried it out. You could, there are other ways you could do it. But um, 
the but the the very the fact that like the robot kind of means everything and nothing it's an interesting kind of metaphor for the entire entire program it's got such a distinctive visual style the original series when you were writing it were you well when you're writing the elements that are set in the village anyway were you thinking about it in terms of um, how it would look, the the costumes, the locations, that kind of thing, compared with with respect to the original. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, so for example, there there are some security guards who are kind of like play a, play a role, and uh, they kind of take our character uh, around as he's being questioned, uh, and just things like what are they, what are they wearing. So you really do think and try to remember what kind of uniforms would be unique. It's not just regular security guard uh, uniforms. You are thinking. Uh, Okay, they're going to be wearing the kind of stuff which they were in the original series, but maybe a version of it. There's a trial uh, that goes on, a kind of trial which is, has echoes of a trial that happened in the in the real, uh, original series. And in some of these clothes, I mean, a lot of the clothes uh, in the original series were, was very 60s, very kind of a high, it was almost Carnaby Street kind of fashion, strange stuff. Uh, and uh, so it's no point in just doing that because it's, it would just look silly and out of date and anachronistic now. But I'd like, I wanted to get a, a kind of feel of that without being quite as time-specific or era-specific. Is the comic set now, or is it just sort of generally 21st century or, or deliberately vague? No, it's set, I'd say it's set now, in this, in, this, uh, in this kind of like age of kind of moral equivalence where or nothing means anything and... Uh, uh, and our character represents a uh, modern man. He represents a kind of a modern society which perhaps has lost its way. And so it's really, it's the theme is about belief. What do you believe in in this kind of age? And is there anything to believe in? Is the very notion of belief an outmoded uh, concept? It, it sounds terrific. We, we really enjoyed issue one and we're really excited to read the rest of them. And it's good to know that there is at least the possibility of more to come as well in the future. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I couldn't say we'll be see, be seeing you, but we <laughs> potentially seeing you. I think. <laughs> so, uh, Prisoner is out next Wednesday. Is it? I never know these things. I think this how kind of one's working. You're working on a number of things, and and you perhaps you wrote this first episode a little while ago. When things come out, I'm always surprised when like, an editor or I get I see a tweet or something. This comic's coming out. Christ, I forgot about that. So, uh, so I look forward to it coming out. I'm doing a signing, I might just say here, I'm doing a signing uh, of Forbidden Planet on uh, the 28th of uh, April, uh, at which juncture I'll be, um, I'll be uh, signing The Prisoner. So you can probably rest assured that due to some glitch, it will come out on the 1st of March. 1st of May, rather. <laughs> is that the Shaftesbury Avenue store? Uh, it is, yeah. So um, please, I'd like to see anyone, but of course I'll be, I'll be signing the prisoner, uh, it's my main purpose there, but always have to sign uh, anything and chat to any other friends. That want to come on. Is there anything else that you're working on at the moment that you can tell us about? Um, all the, the number of things, well, I've, I've got a new series for 2018, which uh, Rufus Dayglow again is uh, drawing. This is just, this is, uh, it's, it's, I'm going ahead writing it, and it's, so it's, a, it's beyond the beginning stage, but uh, a bit early to start talking about it. But that's quite an interesting story set in the far future, but kind of about themes which would be very recognisable today. I'm working on a new series for um, Ahoy Comics, which is, which is, um, which, uh, Fire and Stuart Moore, 
uh, kind of not behind in America. Tom Pye described it to me as vertigo with laughs. Um, <laughs> so I think so that's kind of amusing, which is kind of like exactly what Tom Pye is about, vertigo with laughs. So it's an adult book, and it's a... Uh, I don't want to talk too much about it, but the story, the working title is called Happy Hour, and it's it's a, it's a twisted story of of a society which is trying to uh, which is trying to control its citizens in a quite an unusual way, and some uh, and which might at first glance be seen as quite um, uh, beneficial and and quite altruistic, but uh, scratch the surface and we see there's some kind of a darker side to this happiness which is sweeping the country. Because happiness is not necessarily the antidote to happiness is not necessarily uh, the right response to certain kinds of lives and certain kinds of uh, situations. That sounds that sounds really interesting. <laughs> that, sounded, that sounded deep, <laughs> but given thought, it was so bloody obvious. It was completely shallow. But the comic hopefully won't be shallow. So we're doing this, and this. I've got some other uh, stories in the pipeline, but it's a bit too early for me to be talking about. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. It was a great pleasure talking to you. It's been a, uh, it's been a uh, real. It's been really amusing, and uh, yeah, it's a pity there wasn't two of you. In all serious, I think the prisoner. Anyone that anyone that uh, was a fan of the original prisoner, I think, would be really interested by it because it's not trying to rewrite the prisoner uh, rule book, but at the same time, I think it's honouring it and it's making it clear that how important we we think that story is. But anyone who actually doesn't know anything about uh, the prisoner, I think, will just come on board and be taken on by the story and to see it for what it is. And I think we'll enjoy the story. Awesome. That's my, that's my little push <laughs> at the end. But I can say I suddenly realise I hear myself sometimes, and I just sound so kind of like I couldn't be asked whether you buy it or not. But actually, I'm completely <laughs> asked. I'm uh, asked, uh, and I really want people to read this because I think it's really good uh, comment. Yeah. Well, having read it, you want we really want people to read it too. Well, I'm happy to hear that, and uh, yeah, spread the word. We, we will, and thank, thank you so much again for joining us. My pleasure. So huge thank you to Peter for joining us. It was great chatting to him about the writing of the comic. We don't want to give away too much about what happens in the first issue and obviously we don't know where the story is going to go from that point onwards but I think what we can say is that the first issue it's set in the present time but it's set in a world in which the events of the original series took place and there are certain references to those events in the first issue of the comic but the main character is a completely new character we learn a lot more about him and his background than we ever really knew about number six and his background. And you see a bit more of his life before the village, if I can put it that way. Yes. And all there is, I think, to add without spoiling anymore is as an issue one, it's beautifully written. It's beautifully drawn and coloured. It looks fantastic. I think we'll probably discuss it in depth later on. But all we can say, I think, for now is it's well worth picking up. It's well worth a read, whether you're a fan of The Prisoner or you're just curious about what this new title is about. Yeah, and I think one thing that does shine through is that this has been put together by people who love the original series. You can 
tell in the way that they're bringing together visual elements of the original series with a more modern setting um, it's all very clever and they, they clearly have a lot of love for the original series as, as well as ideas of how to bring the story into the 21st century. If you're looking to pick up a copy of issue one and we strongly recommend that you do if you're a fan of The Prisoner and you want more story within the Prisoner universe then it's out on Wednesday the 25th of April. If you have a local comic book shop um, you'll be able to ask them to get it in for you and they should be able to do that. If you don't have a local comic book shop uh, there are some comic book shops online that you can get a single issue from where you can subscribe to the whole four issue series and of course there'll be a trade paperback collection of it out later in the year. And for people who are really into collecting uh, prisoner paraphernalia <laughs> uh, the first issue does come with eight really cool covers. There are six main ones. There's the first which is by uh, Mike and Laura Allred. Uh, there's a photo cover. There's a Jack Kirby cover as well. There's a fourth cover, which is by Colin Lorimer and Joanna Lefuente, who actually do the artwork and colours for the comic book series. There's uh, one by John McCree. There's a black and white version of the Michael Allred cover. And then there are two additional covers, which are exclusive to uh, specific retailers. There's a big finish cover, which you can get by pre-ordering volume three of the Prisoner audio dramas from Big Finish. You can also buy it independently from them as well. And also there's the Chris Weston variant, which I think you can get in various comic book shops as well. I think it's a it's a diamond incentive cover, but I know you can get it in places such as Forbidden Planet as well. And that's the cover which has the 50th anniversary print that Chris Weston did last year. Yeah, and I think that's a Diamond UK variant. So if you're outside the UK, you'd need to see if you can get that from a comic book seller in the UK or Ireland who would be able to post it internationally if you wanted to get them all. Um, and then from issue two onwards, there are going to be two covers. There's going to be a cover by Colin Lorimer each time, and then there's also going to be a photo cover variant for each one of the upcoming issues too. So that's a wrap on our coverage of the new comic book series from Titan. Later in the year, so probably around mid-July, we'll be returning to the comics in order to discuss the release of the Jack Kirby, Jill Kane adaptation, which is being re-released in like an oversized art book format as well. And that'd be a really exciting thing because it's been one of those items which has been known about for a long time. I think there have been some poor quality scans of some of it floating around, but this is the first time it's ever been collected. There are some really exciting extras, which David spoke about earlier. And we'll definitely do a feature on that to discuss the release of that as well. Yep, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, you'll be hearing more of us in just a couple of days' time when normal service is resumed and we bring you our episode all about the general. Yep. And uh, we'll review the full series of the comic probably when the series concludes and the trade paperback is out. If you want to keep up to date with all these episodes that are coming out, you can find us on Facebook at Time for Cakes Nail. Or you can find us on Twitter at TFCAA and on our website, timeforkexnail.com. And if you do get your podcast through iTunes or through a podcast app, please do take a moment to just leave us a review. It really helps getting the podcast out there. But for now, signing off from the Tally Ho, be, be seeing, seeing you. you.